0: I met Klaus was a couple of years ago. I was seated in a studio audience, watching Michelle Kwan present her world champion juicer. Michelle was up on stage in her red sequin, you know, figure skating outfit, showing us the puree option on the juicer, and I was politely clapping along with everyone else in the audience. A little man with a kind of like wiry hair seemed to be very angry at the way we were responding to the juicer. And he yelled from behind a megaphone, People, what do you think this is? This is Michelle Kwan and her world champion, You Sir! Get excited! Don't you want to make use? And I thought, yes, you know, I want to make some use. And I could see this in other people's faces. And so we started getting a little bit more rambunctious, yelling a little bit, cheering, Yeah, Michelle! Like, Yeah, we want your juicer. And this character was not happy with our cheers again he said people imagine you are in the jungle you have just been fighting with Nazis wrestling with crocodiles toucans your father is next to you he's dying he doesn't have an arm he doesn't have a leg all he wants to do is buy a hat what you need is this you sir because it will provide eternal life for your father and his leg Come on! And I said, yes, yes, I am going to get that juicer from my dad. And just people were knocking each other over. We want the breath of eternal life. We want Michelle Kwan's juicer. Chairs were going in the juicer. Arms. Strawberries. It was insane. And I looked over to the little man behind the megaphone. And I thought, who is this man?
1: My first experience with class von class was on a training video for a receptionist called um, How May I Direct Your Call? And my only line was, Hello, I have an appointment with Mr. Peterson. And so, you know, obviously I-, I didn't feel I needed to put too much preparation into this. So I walked in and said, Hello, I have an appointment with Mr. Peterson. And, you know, the receptionist is supposed to be inattentive and stuff. And she was, and it was great. And then we just hear, Cut! Cut! And this crazy looking German man with a a big beard and and glasses and a a fiery look in his eyes. And he says, why, why do you have an appointment with Mr. Peterson? (laughs) And I kind of chuckled and said, well, you know. I'm just a business person. I'm probably, you know, having a meeting with him, but it's, you know, we don't even go into that. I really only say the line and then they cut it to make the point about good receptionists, bad receptionists. Um, he said, no, you have an appointment with Mr. Peterson because he is sleeping with your wife. They make photocopies of their bodies on the copier in his office. (laughs) And I said, are you serious? Like, is 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 this a joke? And he said, no joke. I do not ever film jokes. I am an artist. He is sleeping with your wife and you are furious and you have made an appointment to kill him. And then I realized this guy's totally for real. And he's giving me a chance to turn this training film into the greatest moment of my professional career thus far. I mean, I thought it was pretty awesome when, when I got to, uh, squeeze, squeeze the butt of a, a hot receptionist in a sexual harassment training video. But man, this is real acting here that he's wanting me to do. And then he turns to the, the receptionist and says, why, why are you so inattentive? And she said, well, you know, I'm just like yeah, you know, I don't care about the jobs too much, I'm I just want to read my magazine, make, make some money and leave. He said, No. You are inattentive because there's a lot on your mind. You are carrying the Son of God in your womb and you are addicted to drugs, cocktails of drugs, meth, speed, heroin, cocaine, crack. It's all cocktails, and the angels are coming down, screaming at you, pleading with you to get off the drugs, because you are carrying the Son of God, and he cannot be retarded. She looked at him and nodded and, and said, Okay, I, I think I can do that. I got it. And Klaus walked back behind the cameras, and immediately I just started feeling enraged, like... Something was coming over me, and I could see my wife and Mr. Peterson on the copier, I could see the endless copies shooting out of the of the machine, just breasts after breasts after breasts after, breasts after legs and thighs and everything I was furious i I saw laminations, I saw staplers i I saw my wife coming home at night with pens that weren 't hers and her hair, and I Just wanted to make my appointment, go to his office, grab his trophies, his his diploma frame, smash them over his head, slit his throat, throw him across the room, slam his desk down on top of everything. I wanted it all. And the receptionist is on the floor, convulsing and spitting and pleading. She, I don't want the son of God. I, I, I don't want to be on crack. I don't, I don't want, I hate my life. I'm just pulling out her hair and, and, then I walk in and, and I say, hello, I have an appointment with Mr. Peterson. There was silence and then I heard Klaus got
2: end scene. I work for Goldstein Media. I was a production assistant for quite a few years. We made crappy commercials and infomercials. Those things that you see on television after like two o'clock in the morning, yeah, I probably made about 50 to 80 percent. The big guy with the beard that sells like rotor rooter stuff like that, him and I go way back. Anyways, uh, I really do enjoy what I do, but to be honest, uh, my life completely changed when Klaus von Klaus entered the scene. He was a a director that liked to consider himself a German visionary, and he came over and he wanted to make some uh, car commercials. Now the problem is, is that a car commercial pretty much writes itself. It's really easy. You just get a uh, very animated guy and a guy that can talk really quickly. The animated guy waves his arms in front and you know convinces you that the car is awesome, and then the guy that speaks really fast tells you the APR financing and all that stuff. You know, throw in as much stuff as you can that you don't understand what's going on, and then all of a sudden you find yourself with a, a Hyundai. But Klaus, Klaus. The first thing he said was, no, no Hyundai. It's like, whoa. No, wait, this guy didn't want to use any cars in this commercial. It's like, well, <laughs> I mean, we didn't know what to do. I mean, all of a sudden, this guy's throwing, he, he threw our entire wrap out the door. And it's like, all right, this is going to suck because <laughs> I want to be out of here in 45 minutes and this guy is not going to let me do it. <laughs> so this is what he says to us. We take the shot in the cemetery. We go over to the grave. There is a man. He is weeping. It is his child's grave. He is cradling the envisioned son in his pretend mind. Death. Eyes. Glowing. Back to the red eyes streaming tears. Man. Why? Why? Back to death. Points. Says. Hyundai. It's not my place to tell this German visionary director how to make a Hyundai commercial. So we had the former linebacker pretend to cradle the carcass of his dead son. And the fast talker, well, we put him in a black robe and, well, he was death. And, uh, yeah, we made a Hyundai commercial and um, I got a paycheck.
3: When I started to date Klaus, I knew he was into movies. I mean... All we ever used to watch were the French films where everybody's naked or the Italian movies where everybody's being crucified like Christ or Japanese samurai films or the Swedish ones where nothing ever happens. But he didn't really get into making movies until our wedding. My mother hired a videographer. And I don't recall, but one of the guests told me they saw Klaus Talking to this videographer before the wedding began. I don't remember because, of course, I was getting ready, putting on my makeup and my gown and everything. And, you know, I, I remember that feeling of being so excited when I was just at the top of the aisle and I was about to walk down and I looked in front of me and I didn't see Klaus. But then I looked to my right and I realized he had the videographer mounted on top of a piano, dollying it around the chapel. And the piano player was jogging after the piano, trying to catch up just so he could play Here Comes the Bride. And Klaus was directing him on camera angles for our wedding. And I thought, you know what, just just go with it. All these people came out here because they wanted to see you get married. It's a huge deal, so continue. So I'm walking down the aisle, and I think I got about halfway before Klaus yells, caught! He stops everything, and he says, all right, great, reset. And we're going to take it from the other side because he wants to get a close-up on my face And then he tells me not to move around as much. It's like five times later. You know, five cuts, reset, cut, reset. And I finally make it to the end of the aisle when out of nowhere leaps a swordsman. The priest passes out. My grandmother has fainted. My mother is livid. And Klaus jumps behind the camera again and instructs the videographer to make sure he's getting all of this. And I guess in all the commotion with the piano, you know, running around with the videographer on top and the piano player trying to catch up while playing Elton John the piano fell, crashes on top of the video camera and destroys it completely so there's actually no um, recorded footage of my wedding whatsoever but um, that was the official debut of um, Klaus's career two thumbs up so, riding out the day
4: to scare the little ones, scare them right away. Do you believe them? All the things I say will be the truth now, so don't be turned away.
0: I was an aspiring actress working for a hot dog company. I had been dressed as a hot dog, as a container of relish, but really, by the end of my first week, I had exhausted the dramatic possibilities of condiments. I had heard that Klaus von Klaus was casting for his educational film, The Founding Fathers, and I thought, you know, I might as well just give it a shot and go to the audition. Luckily, I was chosen to portray Betsy Ross, and so... You know, I I went home and read a bit about her and looked at some pictures so I can get an idea of, you know, who I was going to play. And I uh, showed up to my trailer the first day and saw a flag. Now, I thought this was a costume drama, but all that was there for me to wear was a flag on a hanger. And I approached Klaus and I asked him, you know, like, what's going on with this? Like, where's my outfit? And he said, you and George. There is going to be tension of the sexual, and you are going to wear a flag, and then you know what to do. I know you know what to do. He has won you freedom from the British. You have been oppressed. You have been a slave. You have been carrying guns and knives. And now, the least you could do for George is to show him yourself. You need to give him yourself like George has given you freedom. Forget the history. Forget everything you know. The only thing you know is your body and his body and one. And, you know, we only have one country, and that's America. So I, I did what I had to do. George entered the stage on which we were filming, and I was wrapped, wrapped in my flag. And he asked if he could feel the fabric, and he approached me and felt not only stars and stripes, but victory. He felt the sweat of the colonies and he slowly removed the flag and it dropped to the floor like a British ship. And I felt truly loyal. Together we folded the flag into a little triangle and put it aside and we made the most incredible love he rode me like he rode down the Susquehanna River, and we decided to improvise and chant the Pledge of Allegiance and just let it out, and by the end, there were fireworks and there was Francis Scott Key and there was loyalty and justice and liberty for all. When we looked at the dailies, it was the most erotic and patriotic thing I have ever seen.
2: We worked with low budgets frequently at Goldstein Media. We don't really have a lot of liquidated cash, so uh, we end up being creative when it comes to making, say, educational films. For example, we made this film called Founding Fathers, and I was under the inclination that we would take some books from the library and then do some slow pans of, say, Washington crossing the Delaware and have some Brit talk in the background about Valley Forge or something like that. So I took these books over to Klaus's office, and boy, did that throw him for a loop. No, no, terrible, throw it away, throw it away. And he just threw the books up in the air, completely didn't know what to do, and he rooted around in his desk for a while, and he eventually pulled out this picture, and he said, here, this is what we will do. What do you see? And I looked at the picture, and uh, it was a stripper in a G-string, and there, were, there was a $100 bill shoved under there. It's like, well, I see a hooker in a G-string. It's like, yes, that is true, but what is on the $100 bill? It's like, well, that would be Benjamin Franklin, one of the founding fathers. Exactly, a founding father. Insidious, lustful. Power fused with greatness and sadness, dancing on the pole of your country, perverting the minds of your youth. And this, this is what you sell. This is what you do. So our movie about the Founding Fathers ended up to be a bunch of slow pans of hookers dancing on poles. And pictures of crumpled up one and two dollar bills that were formerly used for Snowden and Cocaine.
1: The next time that I got to work with Klaus was for an an educational film about the founding fathers, and I was playing Thomas Jefferson, and so I I spent weeks just at the library with stacks of books researching everything that I could about him to really get into the character because I knew Klaus would want for me to just embody everything that is Thomas Jefferson, no matter how few lines I had. Um, and so I showed up the day of the shoot and there was the guy playing Benjamin Franklin and we were talking and Klaus came over to give us the, the synopsis of that day's work. And he looks at us both and says, Forget everything you know about Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson. All you need to know is Benjamin Franklin, flying kite struck by lightning, superpowers. Thomas Jefferson fathers the entire state of Virginia, steps down for presidency to hide out from his jilted lovers in an undisclosed cellar in Maryland. Franklin meets with Napoleon To finish what Jefferson started with the Louisiana Purchase discussion, Napoleon offers to sell 70 million francs. Franklin says no way, 30. Napoleon, 65. Franklin, 40. Napoleon, never. I will keep Louisiana to myself. Franklin shoots electricity out of his hands and gets... Louisiana for us. Cut to the cellar in Maryland. Jefferson with candle looks directly to the camera and says, that is why we have Louisiana.
3: Not long after we got married, Klaus began working for Goldstein Media. And I was really excited because finally he was getting paid to make all his films. And hopefully this meant he wouldn't be ruining people's weddings anymore. The bad part was that I saw him less and less. And uh, when he was working on the film um, The Founding Fathers, he would spend all day just pacing the kitchen, having imaginary conversations with Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson, while making peanut butter jelly sandwiches, which, like the film, were never completed. So when he asked me to star in his next film, even though I wasn't an actress, had no experience nor any desire to act, I, I said, sure. You know, I wanted to spend more time with him. The film was called Am I Normal? And it was a sex education film geared towards middle schools. And I was to play Sacagawea, who was also the mother of a pubescent, ...and sexually confused Thomas Jefferson. And I was also to play his 8th grade biology lab partner... ...slash love interest. So I figured, you know, okay, it's a low-budget film... Uh, ...playing both parts, which is kind of bizarre. It's probably because they're trying to save money... ...and just use one actress for the, both parts. So I figured, okay, no big deal. Until in one of the scenes, like in the middle of it... ...I just changed characters... I start off as his mother, Sacagawea, and I'm explaining to Thomas his body and, you know, all the changes that occur. And then I start taking off my deerskin dress and moccasins to reveal a Catholic schoolgirl uniform. In the final scene, Thomas is asking his, his mother, Sacagawea, me, about that funny feeling that he gets when his biology lab partner touches him in class. And then I say to him... Did I ever tell you about the Lewis and Clark expedition? And I take his hand and press it to my cheek, and I explain how I joined them in North Dakota. As I move his hand, slowly guide him over the mighty Rocky Mountains, the Continental Divide, down the Snake River, then approaching Mount Hood. And then after we approach Mount Hood, I take off my deerskin and moccasins and reveal the Catholic schooler uniform again— And then I'm supposed to show Thomas the final destination, which is the glorious waters of the Pacific. And I'm supposed to remove my uniform and reveal nothing. And that's when I said, you know, I I can't do this. This is sick. I'm his mother, or am I his girlfriend, or am I his lab partner? I don't even know anymore. And, and what's with me taking off my deerskin to reveal a Catholic school uniform and then at the end of it taking it all off to show nothing? Why should I be naked in this? And I told Klaus, you know, I don't want to do this. This is bizarre. And that's when he said he would hire someone else. And I figured, you know, okay, fine. We can come to a compromise. Which we did. We did the scene. And instead of me taking off my skirt at the end when I show little Thomas the Pacific we cut to archival footage of a magnificent humpback whale spouting water from his blowhole.
0: Klaus was by nature a boundaries pusher. This is the most evident in his film, Sexual Harassment in the Workplace. I was dressed in a form-fitting American flag. Ben Franklin would ask me repeatedly if he could dump his tea into my harbor. Thomas Jefferson would suggest that he raise me on his flagpole... And George Washington would ask if he could see old glory. Now, the most climactic scene of this entire piece would be when George Washington got down on his knees to perform fellatio on John Hancock. In a moment of hesitation, George Washington said, No, no, I can't do this. I'm not, I will not perform fellatio on John Hancock. I can't. And Klaus came out from the side of the stage and said, you must. This is a video on sexual harassment. You must feel the harass. Get down on your knees. And George Washington said, No, no, I won't do it. I won't do it. And Klaus said, Fine, I will. And then he called for his powdered wig, and he called for his wooden teeth, and he called for his britches, and he called for his horse, and he got down on his knees. And Marty, Marty Goldstein, stormed on stage and shut down the production and say No, like, this cannot happen. But before the lights went out, I looked at John Hancock and I could not tell if the look on his face was one of relief or one of disappointment.
1: Klaus and Marty were constantly fighting for the, the creative control of, of these films. Um, there was a music video that we were doing for the rapper Jigawatt and he, he came in and said, get this, Like I, I I'm going to be rapping right up in the camera and behind me. There's just some fly honeys shaking their booties. It, it, Marty was like, yeah, yeah, totally great. We'll get some cars. We'll get some, you know, big subs and stuff. It, it'll, it'll be awesome. Klaus looks at Jigawatt and says, why, why do they shake? And, and Jigawatt's like, Man, cause they're fly, you know, they they got junk in the trunk, they're, you know, they're, they're shaking what their mama gave them, like, and, and Marty's like, yeah, class I mean, what's the big deal? Let's just shoot this video, we'll put album, it out, we'll make tons of money, it'll be great. And class says, no. Why do they shake? So, you know, Jigawad and Marty are, are are getting really irritated, and they're saying, you know, let's just shoot the video, you know, like, you don't need an explanation for booty shaking, you just, like, people like it, it, it sells, you know, this is, it's fine, it doesn't need, it doesn't need a reason, they're just going back and forth, and, and Klaus just says, wait, I know why they shake, they are sisters, orphaned by their parents, As babies they live in the sewers beneath Moscow eating rats and statues they cannot speak one of them is carrying a demon child within her womb the son of the demon king they do not know which one has the demon but if born This demon will erupt from between her legs in a swirling cloud of locusts Bloodthirsty for the fingernails of screaming babies whose mothers are riding headless on the backs of horses with snakes for eyes, screaming fire from their claws, and burning cities, blood everywhere, rivers overflowing, building, drowning babies in blood, and fiery clouds opening up, lightning everywhere, everywhere lightning, and this is why... They shake.
2: So Goldstein and Klaus von Klaus never really got along well, and I really have a whole closet full of stories, but I think. This one with an insurance company really really puts the icing on the cake. Um, we we do a lot of uh, corporate retreat videographies where we take a lot of shots of them, you know, on their ski doos and you know, doing the limbo. They they go off to these exotic locales and we film them and then make videos for their general entertainment at the end, so they can see what a great time they had and then all yuck it up at the end. Um Keep in mind here that these are insurance workers. So, yes, they're loaded, and yeah, they have trophy wives, but they know nothing about cinema. And so, when you have somebody like Klaus, who is, you know, in love with his work, and he shows to a bunch of extremely wealthy men their extreme vices. I mean, we were seeing soiled linens that they had left on their bed. We were seeing their condoms in trash cans, saw ass pats, uh, you know, the maid walking by off-wall racist and prejudiced comments that you know you didn't think that these bigots really exist in america like this is what this video was i mean jaws were on the floor it was stunning it was beautiful it was poetic but goldstein was so I mean how can you do this it, it, it was a complete defilement of these people's money to us and you know Goldstein went up and confronted us like wh- what what are you doing this is unbelievable Just, I could not understand we gave you great footage like, we had so many good shots of Golf and you know sailboating and you know Klaus was animated. He's like what this is not what the people wanted. It's like yes, this is not what they wanted. They were looking for something exciting and entertaining. And what am I? A monkey with symbols? Do you see me clap my hands? No, I no clap my hands. I am no entertainer, I am an artist. So we're supposed to do this with the local red lobster this next weekend but with the whole Klaus Goldstein thing i don't think we'll be able to get it done hopefully uh we'll just show the red lobster video that we have from last year and they'll be so drunk that they don't even notice <laughs>
3: house is never easy, but it became much more difficult after the arrival of the lingerie models. He first used them in an underwear commercial involving signing of the Declaration of Independence, except they were freeing themselves from tyranny of visible bra straps and panty lines rather than the tyranny of Britain. Anyway, he was so taken by them that he started using them in all his films. They would be in training videos at a burger joint flipping burgers, or they'd be in an infomercial demonstrating how to use a home fitness system. I was always playing Sacagawea, dressed in deerskin, and I was always surrounded by these vixens, these harlots, wearing leopard print thongs. And that was one thing. But it was infinity times worse, when all of a sudden, they're at my house. They're reading my books. They're eating my grape nuts. They're prancing around in negligee and corsets and thongs in my abode. And I started fighting with Klaus about these things. I said, you know, it's one thing to have them in a film, and it's a completely different thing to have them come into my home, eat my wheat thins, use my hand soap, and and spill Diet Dr. Pepper all over the furniture. And of course, Klaus, he says to me, baby, don't be mad. They're perfect for their roles. You're perfect for yours. We all have our roles to play, except yours, and you'll be happy. The last straw for me. We were shooting an educational film about phonics for children. I was playing Sacagawea, teaching the children long and short vowel sounds. And of course, the models are behind me, spelling various words by contorting their barely clothed bodies in various letters. And out of nowhere, Klaus becomes angry, and he he yells cut, and he chastises the models on not spelling cat to his liking, and he orders them to his trailer. And he says to me, continue practicing the vowel sounds, you know, and I thought, okay, he's going off to his trailer with the models alone and I I have to sit here. So I wasn't comfortable and I said, you know, I, I wanted a break and maybe I could join them. And he tells me, no, we're running late. We need to finish. I need to continue making my vowel sounds and he'll add the models in post. So there I was, alone on the set, imagining him and the models forming God knows what vowels and diphthongs, and single-syllable words like dog and cat and hat, as I pronounce the long vowel sounds, all by myself. A. E. I. O. U.
1: There was this one time we were working on a film for the Denver, Colorado Chamber of Commerce called Experience Denver, Promotional Travel Thing. So we were having preliminary meetings with a couple of the actors, Klaus and and Marty Goldstein, and we were hanging out at a bar discussing this, and Klaus wasn't that involved. He was more interested in this beautiful Italian model sitting next to him. So anyway, you know, Marty's talking about the flights and the, the hotels and whatnot, and suddenly Klaus just whips around, slams his scotch on the bar, and says, No! We will not fly. We do not need hotels. This is Denver. And he was pointing to the model next to him. And it became apparent that we weren't actually going to go to Colorado and shoot. We weren't going to go experience these sites and these these places in Denver. This model was to be an, an embodiment, a representation of Denver and Klaus really felt that she was Denver. She was the Denver and, and started building these meticulous little sets. All around her body, of the different the different buildings in in Denver, and the the Platte River flowing down from her hair into her bust, where he had recreated um, the Performing Arts Center, the Cash Register Building, the Pepsi Center, and further down, you know, the the Santa Fe Gallery District, like kind of down by her her, her belly button and kind of snaking down onto her hips, and uh, this was hard for for Mrs. Von Klaus to watch because. Here was Klaus spending countless hours every day painting these sets and constructing them and, and, and rehearsing with this this model in his trailer every night. It, I mean, it was obvious to all of us what was going on, but poor Mrs. Klaus. And one day she pulled him aside and, and said, you know, Klaus, like, what? why can't I be Denver? And he, he looked at her sternly and said, you're not Denver. Do you think anyone can be Denver? Do you think I can walk down the street and just pick a girl to be Denver? We might as well go shoot in Denver. No. Isabella is Denver. And she said, B- but Klaus, I mean, there's stuff to do in the suburbs. I mean, can I be at least Arvada or, or Littleton or or something? No, I look in Isabella's eyes and I see Denver, I see the Mile High City. When I look into your eyes, I see
4: eyes. Days are dark in my eyes. I am sick. T- I have not been able to leave this sorrowful house Emptiness was here, my strength will never return I have
3: After the phonics fiasco, I left Klaus for a few days. But then he tracked me down and uh, tried desperately to convince me to work with him on the most important films of his life. He said he needed me to be the star because these films were what people would remember him by, and he wanted me to be a part of that. At first, of course, you know, I didn't buy it, but eventually he started explaining, you know, it would be a trilogy. It would um explain his childhood I had never believed him before when he told me about his troubled childhood because the story changed every time. I mean, first he says his father was a fisherman and used to beat him with the catch of the day. And then it would send him to hospital. And every time he would tell the story, he would say he was beaten by an eel the next time. He was beaten by a salmon the next time. He was beaten by tuna. It just hurt his credibility, you know? Also, his mother was swallowed whole by a catfish. Eh, That's just not physically possible. In any case, I figured... Telling this sort of story, it it would help him release childhood tension. You know, this could help him become the man I fell in love with. Before the phonics video, before Am I Normal, before our wedding video. It could be good for him. It would be good for us. What he didn't tell me was, it was a three-part Driver's Ed video. And the first title? Parallel Parking. Klaus had occasionally mentioned
0: in a strange relationship that he possessed with his father, but this was the most evident in the film, Parallel Parking. I remember sitting in the audience of the, during the screening and just looking at the black and white shots and how beautiful they were, and there was this one scene in particular that resonates with me still, where the camera's gazing at Thomas, and there's just tears streaming down his face. And then it cuts to his father... And all, all you could hear is just, you're nothing, you're worthless, you can't do this, you can't do anything. And poor Thomas is trying to back up and turn the car. And his father says, you're not my son, as Thomas hits the curb. And with the look of anguish plastered on his face, Thomas just slams in reverse, smashing the headlights. And the film goes black. And all you could hear is just reverberating car alarms. Beep. Beep.
4: Beep. Beep.
2: The Driver's Ed trilogy was a complete nightmare. I mean, what what a Driver's Ed video was, it's instructional video how to drive, right? So you have somebody with a camera in the car, and they show how to do a Y-turn incorrectly, and they show you how to do a Y-turn correctly, but... Klaus had his own ideas, and in order for us to become inspired, he made us sit at various intersections throughout the city, and we would watch traffic for hours on end. And, you know, it was hot, and it's, it reeked of exhaust, and we would sit there in the middle of the median watching traffic go by, and he would he would weep when he saw a lane change, and he would talk about the poetry of the honking of the horns, and it never really touched me. He was in tears. It was hitting him on some different kind of level. And I I just I didn't know what I mean, it was terrible. It it was hot. It smelled like exhaust. It was totally unpleasant. We didn't do anything for, you know, four days, we weren't shooting, we were appreciating traffic, which is an entirely frustrating experience. If you've ever sat on a lawn chair, watching 1000s of cars drive by in a 12 hour period. I mean, what he was doing here is he's creating a movie that no one would like that no one would ever watch. And that no one would ever want to see again. I went to film school, too. I can appreciate what he's going through. He, he wanted to create something new, to do something different. But the fact of the matter is that art is hard, and it's a lot easier just to make money. And uh, I have a sweet duplex, and I own a Hyundai. So we were in the screening room watching the final cut of Blind Spot, the second
1: movie in Klaus's Driver's Ed trilogy. I play a young Thomas Jefferson, and every time I look in the rearview mirror, I see my dead mother, Sacagawea. But when I turn around, nothing's there. It's just an empty blind spot. So it gets, you know, really intense and really dangerous because I'm driving over medians, driving onto playgrounds, you know, frantically making U-turns to go find my mother. And it eventually culminates in this this scene at a truck stop where there's a, a truck stop whore who looks exactly like Sacagawea. And so I get out of the car and run over to her, and give her a big hug and say like, oh, you know, like, mom, I, I can't believe you're back. This is great. I, I've missed all the things that you do for me. It's just wonderful. I, I wish you were around. My shirt's wrinkly. Can you iron it? Can, can you make me a lunch? And And she says, oh, you know, absolutely, honey. And so we go back to the motel room and again, I ask her like, mom, you know, can we iron my shirt now? And she says, sure. Unbuttons it and, and takes it off. And I say, well, mom, nobody can make the peanut butter sandwiches like you with peanut butter on both sides and jelly in the middle. And she says, I know I'm the only one for you and takes off my pants. And then I say, well, mom, I have this permission slip for our senior class trip to Monkey Jungle. Can you sign it? And she says, I I would love to. I'll sign anything. And she put the pen between her lips. It started to get on her knees. And at, at this point, Marty just jumped up and turned off the projector and said, no, absolutely not. Damn it, Klaus. We cannot release this. This is absolutely too far. It's not even about a blind spot. It's sick, Klaus. And Klaus looked at him and said, no, this is not about blind spots. It is about a boy in Munich with a father who beats him with fish. A mother dead before he can walk, swallowed by fish. The boy cannot see. The boy has one leg. He cries every night, scarred. By the fins of fish. No. This is not about blind spots. You, Marty Goldstein, you are the blind spot. And at this point, Klaus walked over to the cabinet, got all of his his masters, all the films, put them all out on the table in alphabetical order, and hopped up on the table, unzipped his pants, and proceeded to urinate. On his body of work, everything that he had ever done, and jumped down and walked out the revolving doors for the last time. After he left the studio, Klaus needed alternate forms of funding to finish the last installment of his trilogy, Four-Way Intersection. So he had to sell Girl Scout cookies, which wouldn't have been my first fundraising choice, but we did it anyway, and most of us did okay. Klaus, on the other hand, was not the best person to send door-to-door selling these cookies. The people would open the door, and Klaus would say, Hello, my name is Klaus von klaus and i have a vision four streets one intersection the slightest wrong move certain death he does not yield the right of way runs into his mother death he does not use a turn signal kills his mother Death, he runs through, a stop sign, hits his mother. Death, blood on the fender, blood on the crosswalk, blood on the mother. Death, but my vision needs money. $30,000... Money... Which I do not have... But... I have... Delicious... Girl Scout... Cookies... For only... $5... A box... Will... You help me? And... Needless to say... Klaus didn't sell too many dosidos. Dose.
3: Four-way intersection was difficult for everyone. Since Klaus wasn't at Goldstein anymore and he didn't have that support, a bunch of his co-workers promised to help out. You know, the PAs would have wreath sales, the actors would have a lemonade stand, and of course the lingerie models would have a car wash. But as Klaus's condition grew worse and he drank more and he became more violent, everyone started to leave him. I remember... Uh, this one scene that we attempted to
0: shoot in which little Thomas Jefferson was supposed to yield the right of way at a four-way intersection and ended up hitting Klaus's wife. Now, Klaus immediately yelled, Cut! Cut! What are you doing? He got down from his chair that was surrounded by bottles of bourbon and approached his wife and said, What are you doing? Do you think that this is pain what? Are you some sissy girl? And then his wife, you know, before she could even utter a word, he'd be like, What? You think this is pain? Do it again. And he would make everyone roll the scene again. And then the car would hit the wife and he'd yell cut. And this happened just repeatedly. And then it got to a point where he got in the car himself and said, I'll show you pain. And then he started to drive toward her and she ran out of the way. And he was just drunk, driving in circles repeatedly around this parking lot. And uh, he flipped the car. And I didn't know what to do, but some stagehands were able to get him out, take him to the hospital. And I approached him in room 423, alone. I removed my flag and folded it up into those those little triangles. And I placed it on his bed table, glanced at him, and left the room. When I descended to the lobby, I, I couldn't help but thinking that he's just not—he was not the same man that I saw that that first day in the studio with Michelle Kwan and her world champion juicer.
3: After Klaus was hospitalized, I. I left him for good. I never visited. I never went to see him. I never wanted to see him. But sometimes, late at night, if I was having trouble sleeping, I'd catch myself watching infomercials, HIS infomercials. The Michelle Kwan world champion juicer, Senator Arlen Specter's home fitness system. And as I'd watched them, I knew that through editing they've been stripped of Klaus's true vision. You know, the original narratives about love and lust and violence were reduced to mere advertisements urging you to pick up the phone and credit card and buy now because this offer won't last long. And I guess in a way you could say the same thing happened to Klaus and I. You know, we, we lost our warmth and vitality and uniqueness, edited into something emotionless and soulless something that was interesting only to those wanting nothing more than to simply fall asleep
2: so klaus von klaus success or a failure i mean <laughs> i mean who won art or commerce if you take my perspective on this, it isn't even close. I live in a, a great duplex with a reliable car. I have a, a great dinette set and, uh, you know, I have a crock pot and um, a nice range. I just got my kitchen remodeled. You know, you look at Klaus and right now all of his limbs are broken. He's eating gelatin and he, he makes personal sacrifices daily. And you just wonder, is art really worth it? Is it worth putting your own well-being on the line like that? And I just don't think it's a a sacrifice that pays off in the end. So for all you aspiring artists out there, when it comes down to it, and you look at my scorecard, it's Commerce 1 and Art 0.
4: I feel LA, LA In the back of your eyes it kills me My shirt, my fear. Pour me a cup of love, cup that tastes like beer. I live in a and it proves to be nice, nice to me. Of uh...